Welcome to the One Life Podcast, where we have rare but vital conversations about Jesus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Life Podcast. One Life is a startup church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Our mission is to build extended families of disciples that live on mission together. I am Tiffany Ketchum, and here with me is my husband and co-host, Tim Ketchum. What is that? That was supposed to be a crying baby. (laughs) (laughs) I I gathered that. Okay. Um, You never know how it comes across, you know, in in microphone world. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Welcome to episode 49, and we're glad you're listening today. So why are we crying? (laughs) We're going to look at the birth of a baby. Okay. Another baby. Little, little baby. <laughs> I'm assuming this is not Isaac because we're past Isaac. That's and true. We're actually past the story of Abraham. It's true. Yeah. So we're moving on to Jacob and Esau. Okay. So really it's more than one baby, but we're going to focus on one or mm. sort of more than one. Mm-hmm. Focus on one more than the other. Gotcha. Is there... Anything we need to set up to get into this? or I guess I would just say by way of leading up to this story, after Abraham seeks to offer Isaac and God provides a ram and all that, basically the narrative goes into super horizontal mode, like God's not saying anything, or at least it's not recorded. It's all about the interactions in the Abrahamic family and finding Isaac a wife, and Abraham... Ham's wife dies and he gets married. And so there's all this like narrative commentary about the life of this family. And this is where God kind of breaks his silence, as it were, in the text. And God speaks up for the first time uh, directly in the text. So it's, it's kind of neat because this is when God gets back in the business of dealing with the issue of his promise to Abraham to create a great nation. And so we're kind of picking back up on some, it's kind of like when you're watching a sitcom and it gets kind of boring and you're like, wait, what, like what happened to all the excitement? Mm -hmm. Um, And then it kind of picks back up. Mm -hmm. Well, this is where things kind of pick back up. Okay. And so we're in Isaac's story, but later on, I'm assuming. That's right. Yeah. Isaac is, uh, I don't know, 40 years old. Okay. Or older, a little bit older. Yeah. All right, so where are we going? We're going to start in uh, chapter 25, and we're going to go 21. We're, we're aiming to get through verse 34, so. We can do it. We can do it. <laughs> okay. You may start reading then. Yep. Great. Uh, Genesis 25 and verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. Wow, it's like a family problem. <laughs> <laughs> the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the the older will serve the younger. Okay, so this is where we get back into nation talk. You know, the first promise that God made to Abraham was, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then through your seed, all families of the earth will be blessed. And so you really don't get a lot of nation talk. You have Abraham, and then he has this one son, right? And then Isaac's life is pretty normal. 
Like there's nothing in his story except for him finding a wife, but even he's not the one who finds it. It's, it's his servant who goes to another land to find his wife for him. So there's really no, not, not a lot of adventure going on with Isaac. He's, he's, he's kind of boring. <laughs> he's um, like, I've had enough adventure in my life <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> when I was a kid. <laughs> it's true. That, that, that could be a factor. So his wife, Rebecca, she has twins. And God's, she's, those twins are struggling or fighting. Like the, the Hebrew word for struggled, is, it, it actually means like crushed. So like there's some pain going on here, and these two twins are fighting inside of her womb, and she's like, "Hey, if this is if, if if everything's good, why like why is this happening?" And God intervenes, and He lets her know that these are two nations inside your womb, not just two children, but two nations. And what's going to be interesting with this is that the order is going to be reversed. Esau is going to be the firstborn. And then Jacob is going to be born second. But typically, the older one is served by the younger in the family system. But God is letting her, putting her on notice and saying it's actually going to be the opposite. Um, The older is going to serve the younger. And it's an interesting theme in Genesis that the firstborn actually never becomes the full firstborn. There's no firstborn child in the book of Genesis that actually lives up to its firstborn duties or rights or status. They always get disqualified somehow. This is kind of like the beginning of the narrative saga of the firstborn not really coming into its own. And for some reason, God has kind of ordained this or he has seen in them that one will be more qualified to do this than the other. So we don't know exactly why God chose Jacob over Esau, but he did. Okay. Verse 24. Yep. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So there's some interesting things here with Esau. It says that he came out red. You know, we don't know if that's like the color of his skin. Maybe he was red-haired. He, uh, he was a redhead. Uh, but he does have red appearance. And it also says that he was really hairy. Like, I guess when he was born, he already had hair on his body, I guess. Or maybe he had a full head of hair. It can happen. Yeah, um, it can happen. But we we know later on in the story that uh, Esau is known for being hairy. And if you trace his lineage, he actually becomes the nation of Edom or the Edomites. Um, and in Jesus' time, that's known as the Idumeans. So there's, there, there is a long history here with the descendants of Esau. But the, the word Jacob is kind of interesting. It means heel. And this is very typical of the Hebrew culture is that they would name uh, the babies after some characteristic of the baby. So the imagery here is that Esau is the firstborn, but Jacob doesn't want him to be. 
He's like, hey, get back here. He, he reaches out to grab his heel, kind of like, you know, there's, it's kind of like two kids fighting over who's first in line. And they're grabbing each other. They're fighting over that first place. And so early on, Jacob has his eyes set on being the firstborn, but he's not. <laughs> Even coming out of the womb. That's right. From from the beginning. So the, the, there's sort of like some inherent conflict that's uh, even in the womb here. And if you follow the story, you know, in the Bible, the Edomites actually become a enemy of Israel at various stages in, in Israel's history. So there's there's definitely some interesting foreshadowing here in the in the story of their birth. So yeah, there, there's this tension, there's this desire and competition over being the firstborn. And that's going to lead us into the next part of this story, verses 29 through 34. Okay. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Whoa. I'm talking about being hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to die. I mean, I'm thinking he probably exaggerated just a little bit. You know, I'm sure he wasn't about to die of, you know, hunger. I'm thinking it was an exaggeration, yeah. Yeah. So Jacob, all these years later, still has his eyes on the birthright. And he's like, this is my this is my chance. And, you know, we don't know if this is the first time Jacob made this kind of offer to Esau. My guess is, is that it's probably not the first time. And he could have potentially wore him down. And, you know, if... Esau is the kind of person to be out there hunting. He may be the kind of person who says, you know, when dad dies, I don't really want to take over the family business. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be out here hunting. I want, you know, I'm a free spirit. And this whole birthright thing, it's, it's, it's probably more trouble than it's worth. <laughs> and so, you know, Esau lives in the tents. He's the person who hangs out closer to home. And he actually really wants to be the successor of the family. He makes this offer to Esau, and strangely, Esau accepts and sells his birthright. So this is really like one of the first stories in the Bible where we see this issue of the firstborn. And I just want to read a few things off about the firstborn, of, about why Jacob would have wanted this birthright. Because, you know, we don't, we don't really have this going on in our American culture today. You know, the firstborn, the, the closest we get to talking about the firstborn is like birth order and personality <laughs> and challenges that the firstborn faces, but it's always in relation to the parents, how they treat them and their siblings. It's never about the things that it was about in these, you know, in the Bible times. It's true. It's different. Yeah. So, so what are some of those things? Yeah. So like one of them obviously is that they're the first to be born. So if you think about, you know, in today's culture, when a married couple, they have their first kid, it's kind of a big deal. 
And so a lot of times they end up setting their affections on that child in a sort of way that is not set on other children in the family. And this is where we get our whole birth order, you know, conversations. But the way they talked about it back then was that the firstborn is the first to open the womb. Okay, so in other words, they're the pioneer. They're the ones who break open the womb and other children are going to follow them potentially coming out of the womb. Uh, there's a sequence issue here with them being the, the ones who break, break the womb open. There's also a status to being the firstborn. You are considered more important. You, there's more respect for you. People defer to you in the family. Other, other siblings are supposed to serve you. In other words, you're kind of like the middle manager. Like dad is the boss, but you know he'll say, hey, y'all do what your older brother says. So there's sort of like some authority and status with the firstborn. A really interesting phrase that would come up later on is that they would the father would call the firstborn the beginning of my strength. So it, it, it's not the complete strength. The firstborn is not the only strength of the father, but they're the beginning of the strength. And it's like this idea that when you have a family and you build that family, every single child that comes out of that family is going to contribute to the stability of that family. They're going to contribute to the family business. They're going to contribute to the protection of the family. And they're basically going to help you work the family business. And so the, the firstborn is called the beginning of my strength. If you do some of that like birth order study about the firstborn, parents do tend to rely more heavily on the firstborn. In other words, there's more stress and there's more pressure on the firstborn than there typically is on other children for various reasons. And so because of that, it can either have a bad impact on the firstborn or it can have a developmental uh, blessing where they actually develop things that the other children don't really develop because they're carrying more responsibility in the family. And then there's this other issue about them being set apart. And this really comes later, per se. It, It comes later in the biblical narrative. But the firstborn is set apart to play a specific role in the family that no other person in the family plays. And they are also set apart relationally to the Lord that God is very specific later on in the biblical narrative that the firstborn belongs to me and that every family was supposed to devote their firstborn to the Lord. And so there is this priestly function, this mediator that the firstborn plays in the family. It, it is a, a position where you broker things from the father to the rest of the family. And then lastly, you have them as a successor. When dad dies, they take over that patriarchal role of leading the family, stewarding the family. And something really interesting about the firstborn is that when when the father does die, they're supposed to receive a double inheritance. The way that would work out is like if you have five kids, you're thinking, okay, when dad dies, we divide the estate up into five, you know, equal portions. But in the biblical times, you would basically have to divide that up into six portions and give the firstborn a double portion. And so they're, you know, this may give us a little bit of a window as to why Jacob really wanted that <laughs> birthright. Yeah, this definitely wouldn't go over well nowadays. Oh, man. It's, uh, I mean, talk about like, you know, unfair advantage, 
right? Well, why do you get all these things just because you're the firstborn? It's like, well, <laughs> there's things I've had to go through as a firstborn that you haven't gone through. And the responsibility, I mean. That's right. Mm-hmm. Responsibility. Like I've had to parent you when the parents didn't want to parent you. They said, hey, watch after your brother and sister. There is a, a qualifying experience for the firstborn, but not all firstborn actually take that on and live up to those uh, roles and responsibilities as a firstborn. And we see that throughout the, the Genesis narrative is that the firstborns never quite live up to that. And so it gets passed down to the secondborn or sometimes the fourthborn um, in the case of Jacob's kids. Mm. Yeah, this is all interesting and definitely different from what we're used to. Um, but what does the firstborn have to do with Jesus? Uh, good question. So we're going to go to Colossians 1. And we're going to always kind of end our podcast by anchoring it in Jesus. And it's going to be verses, uh, I think it's 15 through 18. Isn't that right? Yep. 15 through 18. You want want to read that? I'm sure. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy." Okay, so there's there's tons packed in there, but we're, of course, just focusing on that term, first, firstborn. And he talks about Jesus as being the firstborn of creation. And it's a little bit of a tricky verse because sometimes people go there and say, aha, Jesus was a created being. You know, he, he's, he's just an angel or he's the, blo- the brother of Lucifer or, mm-hmm. you know, depends on which cult or religion you're into as to how they use that verse. When you read through the Genesis narrative, uh, being the firstborn doesn't always mean you are actually literally the first in line in, in a sequence. So, for example, Reuben was the firstborn uh, from Jacob's family, and yet he did the horrible thing of sleeping with Jacob's wife, and that disqualified him. And then he had two brothers who were next in line, and they got disqualified And then the fourth child is actually the one who took on that firstborn status in the family. Mm, So there is some like criteria. You can't just do whatever and get away with it and still expect to take on responsibilities. That's right, because there's an inheritance involved. And you don't hand the family inheritance off to somebody who's really irresponsible. (laughs) Right. So Makes sense. Yeah, so this, this idea that Jesus is the firstborn of creation, it really gets into how you translate that word of, but it's basically meaning that he is over all of creation. He's like the firstborn who stewards the father's estate. And uh, he's also called the firstborn from the realm of the dead or the firstborn out of the dead. Again, this is not necessarily meaning the first in line, right? Because there were other people who were raised from the dead before Jesus, You've got some people in the Old Testament who were raised from the dead. you got Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. True, yeah. But all of those people died again. And the reason why Jesus is the firstborn from the dead is because he's the first one to be raised from the dead to never die again. And in that way, he is a pioneer. 
he is breaking open the womb of the earth or of the grave, and he's coming out of that womb, making a way for others to follow him. And Paul kind of taps into this language of firstborn in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks about Jesus being the first fruits of the resurrection. In other words, he's the first with more to come. Even in Jesus' day, the firstborn was still a big deal. This term firstborn will come up later when we talk about Israel because God sees Israel as his firstborn. And it talks about Israel receiving an inheritance, that they're supposed to inherit the nations. But the interesting thing is that God also sees Israel as an inheritance for himself, which is kind of a a weird twist, you know, to the relationship. Israel receives an inheritance, but then God receives Israel as his inheritance. So there's this kind of two-way thing going on there with the, with the inheritance. but uh, So yeah, we, we just wanted to kind of tap into this firstborn stuff because it's co- going to come up later when we talk about uh, the rest of the story of Jacob. And it's going to come up later in New, set, New Testament passages as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of setting things up here. Mm-hmm. And introducing Jacob. <laughs> yeah, Jacob. He's, he's going to be an interesting character you know, moving forward. I think our next episode, we're going to get into this story about him stealing the birthright. Well, apparently Esau never told Isaac and neither did Jacob. So Isaac was not in the know that Esau had sold his birthright. Mm-hmm. And so when it came time for Isaac to die, he uh, he needed to give that firstborn blessing. Some trickery going on. That's right. Yeah. So we're... Okay. That's going to be our next episode to get into that. Sounds good. And I should say that we're going to tie that into the atonement as well. Like okay. there's, it's going to function as a parable about how not to view the atonement and what <laughs> Jesus did for us. So there's, nice. there's the hook, I guess. All right. Cool. Well, if you want to uh, keep listening, please remember to subscribe on your platform of choice and um, join us for that next conversation. If you have any questions or comments, please go to our notes and you will be able to click a link there and leave a comment or a question. We're so glad you're listening today and we will catch you next time.